Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Up the clothes and down the stair, in the house with Burke and Hare. Burke's the butcher, Hare's the thief, Knox, the man who buys the beef. Welcome to Criminalia, I'm Maria Tremarki. And I'm Holly Fry. Guess what? We're not talking about actual beef. William Burke had a charming, outgoing manner. Originally from Ireland, he moved to Scotland in 1817 and began working for the Edinburgh and Glasgow Union Canal, known more simply as the Union Canal, which runs about 31 miles from Falkirk to Edinburgh. Some reports suggest that Burke had a wife and perhaps a few children in Ireland and that he deserted them. We do know that while living in Scotland, Burke was with a woman named Helen McDougall, who is sometimes referred to as his wife, sometimes as his mistress. More accounts do call her his wife, though, so that's what we're going to do, too. But just know there are question marks. In 1827, Burke moved into a lodging house in Edinburgh, and that move would change his life. William Hare was also originally from Ireland, and he, too, moved to Scotland for work opportunities on the canal. The men were the same age, give or take a year. Both are believed to have been born in 1792. Unlike Burke, he's described as, quote, uncouth, a lean, quarrelsome, violent, and amoral character with the scars from old wounds about his head and brow. In 1826-ish, he, he married a woman named Margaret Laird. Margaret was a widow, and her husband had run a lodging house in Tanner's Close off Edinburgh's West Port. She took over running the business after his death. It's during their time at this boarding house that Burke and Hare are believed to have met. The Burke and Hare murders, which you'll see referenced to as the West Port murders, happened in Edinburgh, Scotland between November 1827 and October 31st, 1828. And their story begins when one of Hare's tenants, an army pensioner named Donald, died while he was still owing four pounds rent. 
While complaining to his friend, Burke, about the loss of that income, the two men hatched a plan. They would sell Donald's corpse to the local medical school to recover their money. Enter Dr. Robert Knox. Before his now infamous involvement with Burke and Hare, Knox was a renowned lecturer of anatomy, as well as an esteemed ethnologist and zoologist. He was born in 1791, the eighth child of Mary and Robert Knox. After suffering from smallpox as a child, which left him blind in one eye, Knox was initially educated at home by his father. He went on to study at the Royal High School of Edinburgh before enrolling in the University of Edinburgh in 1810. He graduated as a doctor of medicine in 1814, publishing his thesis entitled On the Effects of Stimulants and Narcotics on the Healthy Body. He went on, actually, to become a prolific author. From there, Knox obtained a commission as assistant surgeon in the army in 1815. After posts in Brussels, France, and South Africa, Knox returned to Scotland in 1822. Back home, he was instrumental in the establishment of the Museum of Comparative Anatomy and Pathology at the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. He built a school of anatomy, possibly the largest in Britain at the time, and in only a few years, he had hundreds of students. As we have spoken about in other episodes, the demand for cadavers among anatomists and medical schools in the 19th century could not be met through legal means. And that's because subjects for dissection were limited to bodies of executed criminals, individuals who had died in prison, or those who were orphaned or who had died by suicide. Many medical schools took matters into their own hands and paid for fresh corpses, usually with no questions asked. Knox, for instance, had more than 500 students in the academic year 1828 to 1829. Consider the demands he alone had for cadavers for his daily lectures. Burke and Hare's first delivery to Dr. Robert Knox was on November 29, 1827, but it wasn't actually meant for him. During Burke's confession, he testified that the first body they sold was originally meant for Alexander Monroe, a physician and professor of anatomy and surgery at the University of Edinburgh Medical School. The body ended up with Knox because one of his medical students intercepted and redirected Burke and Hare to Knox's rooms on Surgeon Square, promising more money than Monroe would pay for this corpse and any additional corpses. Prices ranged from four to about 14 pounds per corpse during the time Burke and Hare were part of the trade. The men received seven pounds, 10 shillings for that first body. Now, so we used to do this all the time, but we haven't jumped through time with currency in quite a while. So let's. Eight pounds in 1828 seems to have been equivalent in purchasing power to about 926 pounds today. No one could argue the body trade wasn't good money. So we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor. Burke and Hare were so famous that their activities coined a new word. And we're going to talk about that when we're back. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. 
listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 10% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past, and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made to be seen, very sexy push up bra from the Very Sexy Collection in on trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing 
amazing at all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about Burke and Hare's victims and about a woman named Maggie Dougherty who became their final target. Contrary to popular belief and a lot of things you might read on the internet, Burke and Hare were not actual body snatchers. Quote, one misconception, according to Janet Phillip, author and staff member at the University of Edinburgh's Deanery of Biomedical Sciences, is that they robbed graves. She goes on, quote, but they actually never robbed graves at all. And we know this is true just by reading the account of Burke, who in his confession states this as a fact. They had their own way of supplying anatomists with fresh corpses, and it did not involve a graveyard at all. They simply killed people. The pair worked like this. First, they would get their victim drunk. Each man then had his own role. Hare suffocated the victims while Burke lay across their stomach to prevent any sort of resistance. Their technique made it so the corpse never showed any sign, or at least any obvious sign, that the person had been murdered. A new word was coined from the pair's murderous practices. Burking, used as a verb, would mean to smother a victim or to commit an anatomy murder. Most historical sources agree that their first murder happened in January 1828. The victim, a miller named Joseph, who was lodging in Hare's house, fell ill. Hare and his wife worried the illness would spread to the other tenants that were staying with them, and that would be very bad for business. So Hare called in Burke for help, and the men plied Joseph with alcohol, and Hare suffocated him while Burke lay across his chest to immobilize him. This time, Knox paid 10 pounds for the body. As soon as the men saw how easy they could make money this way, they were really all in. It was the ease with which they were able to sell the body, plus the high price they were able to sell it for, confessed Burke, that, quote, made them try the murdering for subjects. Despite statements and testimony given by both Burke and Hare, the timeline of the deadly duo's murders doesn't actually lay out a solid and consistent series of events. But we know that from January through October of 1828, they killed at least 16 people, including three men, 12 women, and one child. A woman named Mrs. Haldane was murdered while lodging at the house. Mrs. Haldane's daughter is also said to have been murdered there, as was a woman named Effie. A domestic worker named Mrs. Osler, who came to the property to do the laundry, was another victim of the pair. Yet another was a salt seller named Abigail Simpson. While they chose victims among the lodgers at Hare's boarding house, they also targeted the poorest people in the city. They murdered street sweepers, sex workers, an elderly grandmother and her young grandson, and one of their victims, Anne McDougall, was a relative of Burke's wife. All were intoxicated before they were suffocated. In April of 1828, Burke invited two women, Mary Patterson and Janet Brown, to his home for drinks. Janet left after a few hours, but Mary fell asleep at the table. She was murdered by the two men, and her body was sold to Knox. 
A few months later, Burke and Hare killed and sold the body of a well-known local character in the community, a man named James Wilson. He was also known as Daft Jamie. Knox bought all the corpses they supplied, and he never asked questions. But then that really wasn't unusual. It was pretty standard practice not to ask. But some of his students began to grow a little suspicious of where the bodies were coming from when they began to recognize the bodies being sold to them, such as Daft Jamie. The pair's final murder took place on Halloween in 1828. A married couple by the names of James and Anne Gray grew suspicious regarding the unexpected disappearance of a fellow boarder, Margaret Maggie Doherty. Burke had invited Maggie to a Halloween party at the boarding house that night. She took him up on that offer, but she didn't leave the party alive. The men murdered her, and her body was hidden under a bed until the next morning, which is when they planned to deliver her to Knox. That next day, though, the Greys discovered Maggie's hidden body. But when they were on their way to alert authorities, the corpse was taken to Knox, and that meant that by the time the police arrived on the scene, there was nothing left behind to show there had been a crime. One version of their downfall also includes this detail. When asked by police when Maggie left the party, Burke and his wife gave different answers. One stated that she left by 7 p.m., while the other stated she left at 7 a.m. Doherty's body, it said, was found on the dissection board at the university. And now that there was actually a body, there could be a crime. Of the murders we've talked about, there were three that caught the attention of the public. Mary Patterson, who sometimes went by the name Mary Mitchell, and James Wilson were both well-known in the community, known enough to be recognized by those dissecting them, as we said. Margaret Doherty, sometimes known by the surname Campbell, was the men's final victim and the only body remaining as evidence. These were the only victims named in the indictment. A warrant for the arrest of Burke, Hare, and their wives was issued on November 3rd, 1828. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor. When we return, we're going to talk about the trial, the sentencing, and what happened to Burke, Hare, and Knox. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. 
Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back to Criminalia. Obviously, Burke and Hare knew what was going on, but did Knox? Let's talk about it. The case, a capital crime, was tried by the High Court of Justiciary in Parliament Square. This is the Supreme Criminal Court in Scotland. The public prosecutor was the Lord Advocate Sir William Ray, Scotland's chief legal official. Burke and his wife were defended by two esteemed Edinburgh lawyers, James Moncrief, and Henry Cockburn. Hare, however, was offered immunity if he provided the details necessary to convict Burke of the murders. He agreed to the deal. Turning King's evidence, Hare admitted his guilt and gave evidence against Burke in regard to the murders of Mary Patterson, James Wilson, and Margaret Doherty. The jury deliberated for less than an hour over Burke's case. On the morning of December 25, 1828, William Burke was sentenced to death. And the judge added to that sentence that his body be given to anatomists for public dissection. Burke was hanged outside St. Giles Cathedral on January 28, 1829. Historical records suggest there was a large turnout. Like, mega large. Like, most concerts wish they sold this many tickets. I actually went and looked up the number a second time. I was like, is that all the zeros that are supposed to be there? (laughs) Yes. Historians estimate upwards of 25,000 people gathered to watch this execution. Those who lived in the tenement housing nearby offered their rooms with a view of the scaffold to onlookers for a fee between 5 and 20 shillings just to watch. And the dissection of Burke's body on February 1st drew a large crowd as well. Because more people showed up to watch the dissection than had tickets to the show, local authorities were brought in for crowd control. Burke's corpse was publicly dissected by Dr. Alexander Monroe, and yes, that is the same man who they'd planned to sell their first cadaver to. It took two hours, and during the procedure, Monroe dipped a quill into Burke's blood and scribbled the following sentence. This is written with the blood of William Burke, who was hanged in Edinburgh. This blood was taken from his head. After the dissection, Burke's skeleton was donated to the Anatomy Museum at the University of Edinburgh, where it hangs still today. That's not all that became of Burke's body, though. A book was made from his skin and can be viewed at the Surgeons Hall Museums. There was not enough evidence to convict Burke's wife, and she was released after the jury found that charges against her were, quote, not proven. Hare could not be brought to testify against his wife, so she, like he, was immune from prosecution. 
Hare was released from custody on February 5th, 1829, and he just sort of disappeared. Seriously, even now, 200 years later, no one is really certain what became of this man. No one doubted the men were guilty. Most agreed that Margaret Hare knew about the murders and may have assisted in some of them, but there was no proof. Burke and Hare split the money they earned, and Margaret, it's reported, always took one pound for, quote, the use of her house. It's assumed that Burke's wife, Helen, was at the very least complicit in the murders, but there was little direct evidence against her, too. She had the clothing of one victim, Mary Patterson, in her possession, but that's the only tie. Burke claimed his wife knew nothing about the murders and that she believed his work was simply as a resurrectionist, which didn't involve murder. Knox was hardly the only one seeking out and paying for fresh corpses, but most anatomists were not working with murderers. They were working with people who snatched dead bodies from graves not people who were creating a supply of dead bodies. Surely he thought there was something slightly different about his supply chain, but there's really no way to know. Knox was questioned, but it was determined he had not broken any laws. A committee, including his peers John Robinson, who was secretary to the Royal Society of Edinburgh, and William Pultaney Allison, professor of medicine, was formed to investigate the charges against him. They concluded that they had, quote, seen no evidence that Dr. Knox or his assistants knew that murder was committed in procuring any of the subjects brought to his rooms. And they continued, they, quote, firmly believed in his innocence. Forensics are an essential part of today's crime investigations, but in the mid-1800s in Scotland, the science was really still in its infancy. It wasn't until 1835 when Scotland Yard's Henry Goddard first used bullet comparison to catch a killer. The detective branch at Scotland Yard wasn't established until 1842, and the development of the technique of fingerprint analysis didn't happen until 1880. No one was looking to see if these bodies had suspicious injuries, but the public assumed Knox should have known just by looking. In a second confession published in the Edinburgh Courant shortly before his execution, Burke exonerated Knox of all knowledge of the murders. Knox was never prosecuted for his involvement, but he was never able to escape guilt by association. The public just did not believe his innocence. On February 12, 1829, an effigy of Knox was publicly hung before being torn to pieces in the street outside his home. He was also vilified in popular folk songs and tales, and he was caricatured in prints. His reputation was severely damaged, and he was unable to continue his career in Scotland. The press published editorials accusing him of encouraging the murders. The Royal College of Surgeons pressured him to resign his role of curator of the museum, which he did in 1831. In the early 1840s, after the death of his wife during childbirth in 1841 and the death of their son John at age four in 1842, Knox relocated to London. There, he produced articles for medical journals and wrote books on a range of subjects from anthropology to fishing. Dr. Robert Knox died in December of 1862 and was buried at Brookwood Cemetery in northwest Surrey, England. The actions of Burke, Hare, and Knox did lead to changes in how bodies were used in medical research. 
in particular with the passing of the Anatomy Act of 1832 by Parliament in the United Kingdom. Burke, Hare, and Knox were very high profile, and the case outraged the public. In response to public disgust over the illegal body trade, the act allowed doctors, teachers of anatomy, and medical students to also dissect the corpses of the poor, those who were homeless, and those bodies that were donated to medical science. And it was the first law to make the middleman of the trade no longer necessary. About 50 years later, embalming allowed medical schools to keep cadavers for months, finally closing the door on this chapter of the body trade. Would you like a little embalming fluid to whet your whistle? <laughs> whet my whistle. Please just don't intro- in- don't invite me to a Halloween party. <laughs> I'm never coming home. I mean, mine are only fun and everyone leaves happy and safe. Everyone leaves. There's the (laughs) big thing right there. (laughs) Intact. Conscious. Yes. So in thinking about this episode this week, it is so grisly and dark in some ways. I wanted to do a simple drink that still nodded to the story itself. Mm Mm-hmm. Without being grisly at all, I wanted to figure out a way to deliver something that you had gotten simply rather than going through all the work of digging up ingredients. <laughs> so it's a very basic cocktail, but it has some complexity to it. Because I understand of the ingredients. where you're going. <laughs> so this one is called The Shortcut. And it's an easy peasy <laughs> little cocktail. But the thing that's fun about it is that it tastes like there's more going on than there is because two of the ingredients really bring out the complexity in one another. It is based very roughly on a gimlet, which is oh. usually... Gin and lime juice, Mm -hmm. or gin and sometimes specifically roses lime juice, which is a pre-sweetened lime juice. However, there is no one recipe for a gimlet because there are a lot of different variations because everyone has opinions on what the right ratios are. And as we often allude to, the right ratio is the one that tastes right to you. (laughs) For example, for some of the ratios, just to give you a sense of the variance, Some people will tell you that it's a half and half affair, like half gin, half of the roses lime juice. Others that it's like a two to one proportion. Others that will be like two parts lime juice, two parts gin, one part lime juice, one part roses lime juice, one part unsweetened lime juice. Like there are lots of different variations. So I decided that we would do the slight variation, which is a basic vodka gimlet. It's the same idea. It just Mm -hmm. subs out vodka for gin. It gets a little complexity, though, because we're going to drop in another ingredient. So you're going to start from this is where I like to be. Again, all of these are variable. Two ounces of vodka. I like a nice, just clean, simple vodka for this. Three quarters of an ounce of roses lime syrup. And then three quarters to one ounce of amaretto. Oh, hey. You're going to shake this with ice. You're going to strain it into a chilled cocktail glass. And then that's it. It's so easy. But the thing is, the lime and the amaretto together make this taste way more complex than it is. Like it, <laughs> They offset each other and you're like, what is in this? Tr- I don't. This tastes like it tastes like a very grown up drink. It mm-hmm. definitely tastes like alcohol. It's not one where that's masked. It makes it seem like it's probably got more ingredients than mm-hmm. three and that it took more steps <laughs> than it does. Just the dump and shake. <laughs> I would call it it's super basic. And again, obviously, play with those proportions because different palettes like different stuff. Even I like the lime or the amaretto to dial up or down. Sometimes just depending on the day. Mm. It just depends. 
The mocktail for this one is really quite tasty. It's also very simple. So uh, this one you won't shake because you're starting with club <laughs> soda. So if you put it in a shaker, it's going to explode and no one likes that. So I just start with four ounces of club soda. I add a half to an ounce, a half ounce to an ounce of almond syrup. I like orja, but if you mm-hmm. like a different almond syrup, that's fine. And then a half ounce of roses lime syrup. If that is too sweet for people like Maria that don't <laughs> like too much sugar. You could just use straight lime juice. It's great. It still offsets the almond flavor there in the the syrup, and it's quite yummy and refreshing as well. And that's another mocktail that kind of tastes like an actual cocktail sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that's a handy and easy uh, way to whip out a mocktail that makes you feel very much like you are actually (laughs) imbibing, if that's something you're after. If it's not, it's still yummy. It's very refreshing and crisp because you have bubbles. So that is the shortcut. It seems like you did more work than you actually did. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Burke and Hare right? seemed like they did more work than they actually did. The public never believed Knox. They're never going to believe this. Those two guys were not shovelers. That's just what we know. They wanted <laughs> to simplify that chain. Hopefully this libation takes the edge off of knowing that people would just happily and casually kill their acquaintances for money. Uh <laughs> Relatives, neighbors, everybody's just in play. We would never do such a thing. And we are very grateful that you spend this time with us taking a peek at these moments in history. We will be right back here next week. And we hope you join us again for more resurrectionists or potentially murderers and more libations. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.